Well, I hope you brought a Bible, and if you did, would you grab hold of it and join us this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you brought a Bible, make your way there. If you didn't bring a Bible, we provide it. So in front of you, and chairs in front of you, there's a Bible there with a page number that you can even find off the screen there, getting there rapidly. You can use an electronic device if that's how you want to follow. One way or another, our invitation is to be in the Word of God with us, believing that God's Word is powerful. Hey, that's true here. If you're joining us in the Overflow online, same invitation. Grab a Bible. Join us. Join us in this study as we pick up where we left off. We're making our way Sunday mornings, verse by verse, through 2 Corinthians. And this morning, uh, we're going to find ourselves here in this passage. And so before we even go there, let's take one more moment and pray. I'll lead, but I'm hoping you would pray. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God to take his word and make it real and alive and just at work inside of you. Father, I think about what we hold in our hands. God, your word, your word that you say does not return to you void. Your word that is powerful. Your word that is alive. God, I, I, I hold in hand that and know it's true. There's no doubt as to the effectiveness and power of your word. It never fails. It doesn't ever become weak. It doesn't ever lose its impact of what you've sent it to accomplish. God, what's needed right now is that our hearts would be open to it, that we would receive what you would speak to us. So Lord, anything that would block that right now, we pray against it. Pray that you would just soften our hearts, open our minds, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you would say. And Lord, I ask for it. I ask that you would make your word known to us together, but in very personal and powerful and real ways individually. God, would you do that here? Would you do it now? We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One person. One person can sometimes make or break a business. Hey, I want you to begin just thinking about it this way, and here's what I know. I'm actually talking about something that is probably true in every life here. Here's what I'm going to bet. I'm going to bet there's some businesses, maybe, uh, you know, businesses that take care of things or even maybe things that just provide things like restaurants and stuff. I'm going to bet that you have a few favorites. You have things that you are loyal to. And if I were to sit down and ask you why, it would come down many times to one employee or to a couple that go around that, and you would say, they do their job. Like, they are faith, like you, you take your car to them, and they actually do it. It's just, like, amazing. And so you're so loyal, you'll tell other people, like, you should go here because, hey, this is a good business. Like, this is one you can trust. And, and sometimes just that relationship with one person has given you a confidence in that space, and that's a good place. But equally so, if I haven't missed my guess, for most of you here this morning, there are businesses that you will no longer frequent. There are places that you have made anathema to you, and it was one person. It was uh, you know, one employee that just radically did you wrong, didn't do what they were supposed to do, didn't do their job, didn't do that, and that just flavored everything. And so much so, you're like, oh, don't go there. Like, don't, don't, don't do that, because it can actually happen in business that one employee can radically affect how you view the whole thing. Hey, that's true in business. Businesses, you know, explore this all the time. But I want to take that metaphor and thought 
and bring it into who we are in Christ. Because I want to talk about what I've kind of titled in a sense this morning's message, that we want to think about a job description for Christians or a job description for Christian service. Well, yeah, I want to tell you, I believe that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And as we take our way there, let's begin with a very important, but boy, I need to make it land. God, help me to have words that will make it clear. Every Christian is a part of this. Every Christian is, if you will, employed by God in serving Him. Hey, if you were with us in our last study, you were there and you saw it back in verse 1, where Paul said it this way, We then, as workers together with Him, plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We then, as workers together with Him, and the question really lands, like, who's the we? And I just want to say, it's every follower of Jesus. It's really important to get that because if you don't get it, well, one of the words that's going to be found in the verses we're going to cover this morning might not land the way it should. In fact, go there and see it in verse 3 where we're going to begin this morning. It says it this way. It says, we give no offense in anything. That, notice, our ministry may not be blamed. Our ministry. Here's the problem. When I say the word ministry, in this culture, for some of you, you're like, well, Jim, that's you. <laughs> like, like, you're in the ministry. Like, you know, we, we see it as full-time vocational service as, you know, kind of that's ministry. And, you know, we think, okay, well, that's that. Or maybe it's the worship team or maybe children's ministry. But the Bible, when it talks about this, is true for every follower of Jesus. The moment you got saved, if you're a follower of Jesus, you became a part of the body of Christ, and you became a part of what Jesus said, hey, I'm, I've put my, my, my heart in you. He says, you're the light of the world. You're, you're the only way that people get to come to Christ, and, and you're a part of that. He has given every Christian a spiritual gift uh, to partake in the midst of that. He's called all of us to have what we saw earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians is the aroma of Christ always flowing through our life. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you knew it or not, you're employed. You're employed in the service of the Lord. Like his plan for you in this world is that your life would be a part of that. So that's just 100% certain. That's just 100% certain. And, and you need to believe that, but it's true whether you believe it or not. The question isn't whether you're a servant, whether God has intended you to be a servant of God. The question really is, are you a good servant or a bad servant? Are, are, are you doing a good job at that, or are you doing a bad job at it? See, again, we think about, you know, what we have talked about at the beginning kind of thought that, hey, sometimes one person can make or break a business, and it's true in business. It's true also in the body of Christ, and, you know, if you have that, again, maybe you have a business that you're loyal to, or maybe you have one that you have, again, kind of, no, I'll never go there, you might be different than me, but here's how it is. I mean, I'm not actually wanting exceptional, you know? I mean, sometimes I've sat there at some business and like, I just want you to do your job. Like, that's it. Like, I, I'm not asking for like, you know, world-changing service. I'm just saying, I would just love if you would do the basics. It would make me so happy. You have no idea. And hey, that's sometimes where this is. That, that we are invited to say, hey, what, what is that? And so as Paul's looking at this in his life, he absolutely desires to do it well. Like he wants to be one that is giving that in a good way. Let's notice how it says it there in verses three and four. 
She says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Hey, pause there and just catch those two words. We give no offense, but we commend. Like, like we are, we, I don't want to be the one that is you know, the person that is offending, that is turning people away. I don't want to be the reason you know, that, that someone is turning away from Christ. Instead, I want to commend it. I want to say, this is worth your paying attention to. Like, this is worth you hearing. Paul's saying, I, I want to make sure in, in my service that I'm not offending but commending. I, I want to be the employee, if you can say it that way again, it, that makes this attractive, that makes this drawing to that. And he's going to cause us and help us to see that. And it's where we want to dive in. Now, he gives us this, and he's going to give us now a list uh, of what that looks like in his life, what it looks like in our lives. And I, I just want to, again, kind of point it out as a, a job description for every believer. It's really where I want to go with it. In this, he's going to give us a list, and he's going to use three prepositions that are very key through this whole list. He's going to give us in and by and as, and then he's going to give us a list. Now, I want to not read the whole thing here. We will eventually, though we're going to work it through piece by piece first, but I want to just warn you because, uh, you know, I want to forewarn you, forearmed kind of deal. He's going to give us a list of 28 things. I'm not kidding. That's like, I'm not, I'm not, you're like, Jimmy, did you really mean 28 things? No, he's going to give us a list of 28 things. And let's just own with it for a moment. That's a lot. That's a lot for us to process in this short moment. Part of the problem is this list of 28 things are 28 profound things. Everything on this list is something that we could dive into more. Every one of them is one we could stop and say, here's a bunch of cross-references that talk about that. Here's way that works. And, and it would not be a bad thing to do, but it would take way too much time for us this morning, obviously. But more than that, it would kind of miss the point. Obviously, in this kind of environment where he gives it to us in these few verses, he wants us to take in the whole, you know, to, you know, to not, you know, miss the forest for the trees in those kinds of ways. He wants us to see the forest. He wants us to feel the weight of the whole thing. And so I want you to know that before we go into it, because it's going to be a little bit uh, of information. We're going to have to spend a, a good amount of time just giving definitions of those 28 things without being able to go into long explanations, but we could. And, and I just want you to know that so you feel it. And again, maybe one of these things in this list will be for you, where you're thinking, hey, that one I need to think about more. Hey, if that's the Holy Spirit to you, hear it and then take more time and explore it. But we just want to feel the, the entirety of it and see what God has for us in it. So uh, let's break it again. We have these three prepositions. Uh, that's how it's used in the New King James. You might have a different translation, and it can go a little bit differently. And so even the prepositions that are used there might be different. But the, fundamentally, there is three sections to this list. Uh, one other thing before we begin diving into the list. Um, it could be said that this list is true of the Apostle Paul. And that would be true. And that is one way to work through this and to go through this. We could talk about how all of these things were true in his life. And there's probably fruit in that. But I don't think it's really the point. Because again, he's saying it again, we. You know, that, that you and I are not supposed to do it. So we're not going to look at this and just think through the life of the Apostle Paul. We want to talk about these 28 things 
as it relates to your life and my life, where God would say, hey, this is our, this is our job description. Like, this is what God has for us as we want to be workers together with him as he's seeking to draw people to Christ, that, that he's inviting us to be those who told us at the end of the last chapter that we're a part of God reconciling this world to himself and, and how he's doing that in and on and through our lives. So with that, let's begin with the first part of the list. In this first part, he gives us 10, 10 things that begin with that preposition in that you and I get to think through. Let's read the 10 and then we'll take them apart a little bit quickly. Verse four, in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Okay, well, it's a little bit of a list. Quickly defining them, we begin the first one. He told us, hey, it's going to be in much patience. Problem with patience in the English language is it sounds like an emotion, uh, but it's not really that in the Greek language. It really is, has the idea of endurance, has the idea of staying under a weight. It takes two words of, you know, uh, just that we are just under, you know, abiding under a weight. Imagine it this way. You go to the gym and you have someone that's setting the weight, you know, maybe they're, you have someone who's doing it and they did it and they, they get it and they put the weight and then they're like, I'll let go and they're just like, hold it up. Like, you do that. Hang under the weight. That's this word. It's like, I'm holding it. I'm not letting go. I'm not going to drop it. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to quit. That's the idea. Stay under the weight that God has allowed you to be under. Just, just let that just endure. Now, that's kind of a good thing for us to think through, and it's a little bit ominous. It's an interesting thing that in most biblical lists, the very first description becomes almost the one that covers the whole, uh, that you'd see it. And right off the bat, it's like, oh, wait, what do you mean? Like, endure, like, stay under the weight. I mean, that's, that's an interesting description, and you might be thinking, well, that's, that's, that's tough. Can we go to the next one? Sure, let's go to the next one. So there it is, you know, and he just says, okay, so we're going to do this in a lot, a lot of patience, much patience, and in tribulations. Tribulation is pressure, pressure from without. That's the way the Greek word is, a squeezing. Jesus said in this world, you will have a lot of tribulation, much tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, he says. But he's just honest with us. Like, you're going to feel it a lot. You're going to be squeezed. You're going to have pressure. You're going to have stress. You're going to have things that are a part of your world that put pressure on you. Wow. Okay. How about the next one? Uh, so it says, yeah, in, in much patience, in, need, in much patience, in tribulation, in needs. Needs, yeah, that's the idea of lacking necessities. Now, right off the bat, let's just kind of own this, and I'll tell you this, it's true for the whole list, but it might be worth just saying it here. Boy, this just does glorious, destructive damage to the lie of the prosperity gospel. Uh, you know, the lie of the prosperity gospel is that God wants you to be rich and healthy and wealthy and everything go well with your life, and it's a lie. It's a lie that uh, is, it, it leads to destruction, it leads to misunderstanding the gospel, and right here he says, actually, I'm going to let you be in places where there are needs that you have, or at least you think there are needs, and they're not going to be met. This is good. There, there are going to be spaces that I let you be in need. Okay, well, that's hard. That's a little bit there. What else? Well, not only needs, how about distresses? 
Distresses, that speaks of anguish within. It's an interesting word because it's kind of a correlation of tribulations. Tribulations is pressure from without. Distress is pressure within. Sometimes they're connected. Sometimes when the world is stressful inside, you, 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 you can feel your own heart kind of creating anguish, and yet sometimes it has nothing to do with that. Sometimes you just feel it. You feel anxious and the, and, and the weight and the distress that sometimes just kind of builds into your heart and there's an anxiety that would be there. That's distress. That anguish within, that's what he's describing. Not only that, it would be in stripes, literally in blows, uh, things where it would be wounds and things would happen. Hey, that happens physically. Christians throughout time have literally been the recipients of, of physical violence but that's not 100% true, but make no mistake. You know, you think about that little you know, rhyme as a, ki- a kid, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Couldn't be more tr- untrue. Like names are sometimes, sometimes words are harder blows than fists would ever be. Sometimes to have someone just, just blow, just, you know, you know, find you, you know, just crushing blows that would happen into your life. They are that. And it's that kind of thing that he says, hey, that's going to be part of this whole deal. Add to that, he says uh, there in verse 5, he says, you know, not only is it going to be stripes or, or you know, be that space of, of blows, it's going to be imprisonments, places where you find yourself caged or under guard is the word. Once more, it happened, it surely happened for the Apostle Paul. Literally, he spent time in prison. Persecution's been a common place with Christians, so it happens, but it's not just that. There are spaces where life feels trapped. You feel like, I'm trapped. I, I, I feel caged. That's this feeling, and again, it's a part of the life that we get to kind of walk through in the midst of this space, and it's there. Add to that, he says, tumults. Tumults is kind of a social uh, distress, kind of a social disturbances where there's kind of chaos happening. We would probably say it even in our world, um, drama. Like, sometimes you're in there, it's like, man, this this is just drama. Like, people, there's trials, there's tumults, there's anxiety, there's just stuff happening in my world that is creating drama in my life. Yeah, that's, that's part of this whole thing. Not only is it tumults, it's labors. Labors has the idea of weary toil. Like, sometimes it's just, uh, just one day after the next, and it's just, it's a weariness, but it's an incessant kind of a toil that would be there. Add to that, he says, it's going to be sleeplessness, that sometimes it would rob us of our sleep, and there's a lot of kind of things in this. If you could look at this whole list, you can kind of see it. Hey, it happens. I mean, sometimes sleep is robbed in a lot of ways. Sometimes there's physical problems. Sometimes it's the anxieties. It's the pressures and the stresses that cause that, and you find yourself lying awake at two in the morning, three in the morning, going, why can't I sleep, you know, because it's just, you know, your brain is going over some crazy little thing that's happening, and you think, wow, this is hard. Hey, that, 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 that happens. And then he says on top of it, it would be fastings. It's probably not the best translation of that word. Uh, many of you have other translations, and it would use the word hunger and have the idea of having this hunger. It could speak literally of, of desiring food, like you're hungry and you don't have it, but it speaks of something more, that place where you have kind of a desire, a hunger for something that is not being satisfied. It could be relationally, where people are longing to be married. It can be people who are longing to have kids and, and find themselves unable. It's like, I have this, and it's not, I can't. And, and this world finds itself where life can be in those spaces where these things can be there. Okay, so that's the first list. The first 10 he gives us, it's quite a list, isn't it? 
I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention through the 10 of them. Those are all hard things. There's not anything on that list that's like, oh, that's easy. No, it's a, that's the point is, hey, these are difficult things. See, I told you a moment ago that all Christians are called to serve God. And I don't know what you thought when you heard that. You might have thought, oh, he's going to make a, a bid for children's ministry. You know, like serving God means working in the children's ministry. And you look at that list and you go, well, actually, no, just kidding. I mean, yeah, it's actually probably true, but uh, it's not just kids' ministry. The idea is that he's going to say, how about I let you face some hard things, some hard things. Now, without spending a bunch of time on this, I just want to tell you, here's my understanding of this. If I could sit down with you and talk about your life, I think you could fill in something in every one of these 10 points. I don't think there's anybody here It's like, whew, I made it through that one. Like, that one's not, I don't have any of that. You know, I don't think it's actually true. If you think it's true, you probably don't understand it. Uh, this is the world that he has allowed us to live in. And the, the way that we get to live in this world is that we get to be in a space where, hey, sometimes it's just enduring. It's just hanging in there. And sometimes there's pressures from without, pressures from within. There are things that are happening in our world, and that is universally true. And that road is universally true for every Christian. Now, right at that moment, for somebody, this is going to be helpful. I mean, this may be the, the, the most helpful part of it this morning. If it is, let it land. Because, see, I believe for some of you, and it's partly the lie of the prosperity gospel that is so prominent in our world, some of you look at this and you think it just shouldn't be that way. Now, you might know it's true of your life that way. Like, you're, you're like, man, I'm just a little bit, I feel pressure, I feel anxiety within, I feel like there's drama happening in my life, uh, you know, I just, I feel like these things, and somehow you feel like, well, I must be doing something wrong. Like, if I was a real Christian, if I was really doing well, it wouldn't be this way, like, if I was really doing well in Christ, I, I would not have these problems. And I just want to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. Hey, this list is actually true for everybody here in this room. And if you think you're the only one, oh, hear grace and help this morning. I said, no, no, it is not true. It's, this is where we are. I, I think about it this way. Some of you are reading on the Bible with us as a church, and so we're reading First uh, Peter. And today you read chapter 4, or you will read chapter 4. And I like the way it begins, where he just says, hey, beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is sent to try you. Like, don't sit there and go, something's wrong. It shouldn't be this way. Like, life shouldn't be hard. No, it is hard sometimes. And it's not true for just some of us, it's all of us. So that's going to be helpful for somebody here this morning and just hearing that, uh, that you're not the only one, that that is actually what the Christian life is in this world, that'll be helpful. But let's take another step. So this list is how God is inviting us to serve him. And in this context, very specifically, it's about the gospel. He told us at the end of the last chapter that we're a part of God reconciling the world to himself. That he's trying to help people see Jesus. And he's invited you and I to be a part of letting people see Jesus through us. And now he's going to give us this list of how it happens. And I would like to put a thought out to you. Now, just think about it. It, it may not be 100% true. And maybe you would sit here this morning and say, Jim, I can, I can tell you that it didn't work that way for me. And if that's true, that's good. But I'll tell you, it is mostly true. So here's the thought. 
blessings very rarely draw other people to Christ. It's our trials that draw other people to Christ. Let me say this as clearly and carefully as I can. Hey, our God is a blessing God. He is a good God, and he loves you if you're his. And you know what? There are times he will come through in your life, and he will heal you, and he will meet your needs, and he will bless you. But there's something about those blessings that to receive them, it's something that only you can receive. It's a place where God almost just reminds you, like, I see you. I love you. And, and when that happens, it's really, really good. But if you've ever tried to communicate to somebody else, it just doesn't work as well. And specifically when it comes to the gospel, it is very rare for somebody's blessing to become the means of the gospel being presented. Now, again, maybe somebody's here this morning and say, Jim, it's not true for me. That's great. But here's honestly. The way it works, I mean, if you get blessed, in somebody else, it usually creates envy and jealousy or, you know, they're like, you know, if you're like, God so loves me, I got a new car. It's like, well, good for you. You know, just like, you know, it's like, or, or you're like, how come I don't get a new car? You know, like, what do I have to do to get what you got? You know, I mean, it creates the wrong motivations. It creates the wrong pursuit. And you'd have somebody who are pursuing God for the wrong reasons. This happens with Jesus. He'll like feed the, you know, the people with, a, you know, 5,000. And then the next day they're like, Can we do that again. And he's like, no, like, I don't do that. Like, this isn't the game we're playing. Like, we, I, don't, I don't meet that. That's not, you're, you're coming to me for the wrong reasons. And, and that, that never does that. So blessings very rarely are very powerful with the gospel. But our sufferings are incredibly powerful with the gospel. That one of the things that allows the gospel, the, the, the suffering Savior, the Savior who came and died on the cross for our sins, the Savior who paid the price for us, one of the things that makes that the most visible into our broken world is the trials that God lets us go through. That those actually become many times the vehicles that allow the gospel to be seen more powerfully than anything else. I wonder if you would just recognize that is true. Again, maybe you already know this, but hey, maybe spend some time on it. I can honestly tell you, when I think about how God has allowed the gospel to come through me, specifically in people who know me, like family members, uh, you know, coworkers, you know, through the years, people that know me, it has not been my blessings. It has been my troubles. It's been the hard things that I've gone through that have allowed me to communicate the gospel. That they come and they say, I know you're having a hard time. Boy, I know. How are you surviving, you know, in the midst of the hard time that you're going through? Because I don't know how to do that. I mean, I could do blessings. I mean, anybody in the world could be like, well, you know, give me a new car. Give me a bunch of money. I'll be happy too. You know, that's no problem for me. But when you're actually happy and you have joy and they're like, I don't understand how you have joy. Like, I know what you're going through. And I don't understand it. You, you have something that's different. It's so often our trials that allow that to be clear. Now, that's been a key theme, by the way, throughout our book of 2 Corinthians. Some of you are aware of it. We think back to the very beginning that he launched out in this letter, and he told us in chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations. Pause there. Yeah, you're going to go through a lot of stuff. You're going to go through a lot of trials. You're going to go through a lot of tribulations, and God is going to meet you in those trials so that you might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which you, we ourselves are comforted by God. God doesn't exempt us from those trials. He's not like, oh, I'm not going to send those in your life. 
never, I'm not going to let those kids know you're going to go through them, <laughs> and I'm not exempting you, but that's exactly where I'm going to meet you, and that's going to give you something to say. It's actually validating and, and giving strength to that, that it's through those things that you're going to go through that the gospel is going to move in power. Again, for some of you, you understand. You've done this. But again, maybe for one person, this is really, really helpful because, because of the lie of the prosperity gospel, you just didn't believe it. And maybe you're having a really hard time. You're here this morning, you're like, Jim, it's, it's been a week. I mean, you're talking sleeplessness, you know, you're talking anxiety, you're talking pressure, you're talking drama, I got all of that, you know, and, and you're kind of in that place of saying, you know, I, 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 should, I should not even let anybody know I'm a Christian. Like, you know, I mean, I feel like because life is hard for me, maybe, maybe I should hide in the back room, you know, of, of, the, of the church, because I, I feel like in some ways, maybe this is keeping me from being a light of the gospel. And Paul is saying, actually, no. Like, that's exactly why you get to be the light of the gospel. Don't, don't look on those things as, you know, things that accept you and move you from being, they actually create spaces that you would never have otherwise. Things where you're able to say, boy, I, I know, and I have that, but I have hope. And, and, and he's gonna allow those things to happen in our life for that. So that's a good beginning for us, but let's again just own it. Hey, that's a little bit hard. I mean, in one sense, if we're thinking, okay, in the midst of these prepositions in this first list, he's kind of told us where we're going to do our service. It's kind of like if you're looking at one of those like employee badges, you know, it's like, you know, you know, it kind of gives it and then it tells you what department you're in. It's like, I'm, 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 I'm in endurance. <laughs> like that's my life. I get to be, you know, I get troubles and trials and, you know, that's the department I work in. You know, this, I'm, I'm an expert in this department, you know, so that you could say, hey, if I have, this is where I work. It's like, man, that's, that's where, really? That's, that's how this is, yeah, that's exactly what's taking place. And that's a part of it. Again, this can be really, really helpful because some of you just didn't get it. You're like, so we got saved, and why didn't God just take us home? Or why didn't he just make life perfect? Why, why does he leave us in this world where we have all of that for the gospel? For the, that's really why we're still here, for the gospel, for the hope of Christ being known through our lives, and it's why he has not yet exempted us. We will. Heaven's coming, and all those things are going to go away. But they're here for a point. You're in them for a point. So that's the first list. The first part of the list is that we're in those things. The second part of the list tells us what we get to bring into them. Here we get to look at the word by. Let's just notice there just quickly, verse 6. It says, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Okay, we'll pause there. So first list was 10 things. This is nine. Nine things that he's going to tell us that now we get to bring into those situations. Let's just kind of give quick definitions. So by purity, that's holiness, that's conduct, that's character. Hey, make no mistake that it's the first on the list is not to be missed. Uh, the, 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 if we want to be a witness for Christ in this world, it doesn't begin with your words. It begins with your life. Uh, you know, your words will never have merit if your life does not. You know, that what you get to bring into that is how you live. I think about, if, again, if you're reading with us in Peter, God spoke yesterday to, to women, says, hey, you, you might even win your husband without a word just by your godly conduct. 
Like you can, like just living well is an incredible part of the gospel. And so he's telling us, hey, we get to have that. We get to have purity, this godly conduct. On top of it, we have knowledge. We get to bring in God's truth, knowledge of truth, that we get to take his word and say, hey, this is true. This is knowledge, knowledge about who we are, how he made the world, uh, how he designed family, what marriage is, what, what life is. We have knowledge. We have knowledge of how God made the world, and he brings that to us in a way that we get to bring it into the situation. Add to that, we have long-suffering. This has the idea of, of putting up with people. Now, let me just quickly unpack this. So, tribulation had the idea of pressure from without. And that was in our first list. Like, hey, you're going to go through tribulation. You're going to go through pressure. It's kind of funny that this one wasn't in that list, but it's also important, and we'll see why a little bit more in the moment. But sometimes he just calls us to be long-suffering, and that, has, that word always has the idea of putting up with people, of a lot of suffering, because they're bringing you into that, and you are being able to endure that. But it's not just endurance, because the next word says, hey, you're going to walk in kindness. You're going to bring into that situation kindness. You're going to be just considerate. You're going to be gentle. You're going to deal with people in a way that both puts up with it but brings kindness. Wow. More on that in a moment. Add to it, he says, by the Holy Spirit, that he's given us the Spirit. The Bible tells us the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives inside of us so that now as Christ we have that so that now in that life that he gives we get to bring that. I mean, the walking of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, so much that He does, He is that to us. Much we could say, but we move on. We also have sincere love. Sincere is an important word. It's the opposite of hypocritical. It's real. It's not fake, not phony. We actually love, love people. We love God. We love people that that's what we get to bring into this is a genuine, godly, biblical love. A God who is love shines that in and on through and through us. Good stuff. Well, we bring that, but then we also bring the word of truth. Without spending a ton of time on it, that's the gospel. That's Jesus. The word of truth is Jesus. He's the word. John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word of God. Same word here, the logos. He is the word of God. He is the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. So when we say the word of truth, it's very specifically the gospel. When we talked about knowledge, that was God's knowledge. That was, you know, the knowledge of, of, of his word that covers so many things, but all of it leads us to the word of truth that we get to bring into us, which is the gospel. Good stuff. Add to that, we do it by the power of God, that God himself is the strength that would enable us to do it, that he pours that out, his enabling supply. And then the last one on this list is he does it by the armor of righteousness, or I put the armor of Christ because I would just say it's the same thing. Like, the, 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 the righteousness that gives us the armor is Christ, which is what Ephesians 6 talks about, the whole armor of God that is Christ, that he provides for us, that we get to have his ability to stand. In Ephesians 6, it says, hey, you can stand. You can stand against the adversary. You can stand against uh, the things that the world is pulling against us. You can stand. Here, it very specifically says that you'll be able to do it on the right and on the left. What does that mean? Actually, it's a good amount of debate. It might just be saying that sometimes the battle's on both sides. It's like you're in a battle and you're fighting on multiple sides, left and right. Could be. 
It might be a description of battle in those days, that often the left hand was where you had your shield and the right hand is where you had your sword. And so some would say it's both defensive and offensive, probably true. Either way, it still draws us to standing in difficult spaces in the armor of righteousness. That is him that enables us, that Paul would say in Ephesians 6, you can stand. You can stand, take up the whole armor of God that you can stand in the evil day. Well, bunches and bunches of stuff that we could talk about each one of those, but now let's back up as we just did in the first list. If you look over this list, what makes this list distinctive? Well, it is this. None of this can you produce on your own. All of this is what we get in Christ. All of this is His supply. You can't have godly character without Him. You can't be what it is without Him doing it in you. You don't have truth. You cannot be long-suffering, but He is. He's a God that by His nature is that, and He works it through us, and He works that kindness into us. By the power of the Spirit, He gives us real love. He is the Word of truth, power of God, armor of Christ. This is Him. Everything in this list is what God would give you in those moments. So if we're using our silly metaphor this morning that we are employees, employees of Christ and employees of God in this world, hey, this is what he gives you to do that. Nothing does he, is he asking you to do. It's as if he's looking at the employee and saying, hey, you know, I've given you what you need. Go to the supply closet and get it out. Like you go, get out. I've given you the toolbox and the tools are there. I've given you the expense account so that you can do what you need to do, but I'm your supply. I'm the one that's doing this so that you get to step into that space, not you, but him. What we get to bring in all of our trials, which was the first list, we get to bring these things. We get to bring God. We get to bring his goodness. We get to bring his knowledge. We get to bring the gospel. We get to bring his help and his enabling and his defense and his long-suffering and his kindness. These things now give us that ability to shine for him. Now, once more, this is, if you've been with us in 2 Corinthians, you're like, well, Jim, haven't we talked about this a bunch already? We have. I mean, this is the message of 2 Corinthians. It's what he talked about, uh, you know, back there in chapter 3, where he says, you know, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers. Like, we don't have enough. We're not enough. We're not sufficient of ourselves to think we could do any of it. But He's enough. He'll make us servants of Christ. His supply that will enable us to be what He wants us to be in this world, it is more than enough. So we've titled our whole series in 2 Corinthians, Power and Weakness. Yeah, that's what we're talking about right now. The first list is all weakness. The second list is all power. He's like, how about I let you be weak and then my power be manifest in the midst of it? That's a plan. Like that's the plan in this world for you is that I'm gonna let you kind of walk in a space that your weaknesses will drive you so that God's power would be known in your life. Wow. For someone, it will land this way. One of the ways that we share the gospel is we give gospel tracts. It's a good deal. You should do that. You should do it. I hope you have a gospel tract that you like and you carry maybe on your person. Maybe you have some in your car. You give them out. You should absolutely do that. It's a good means. God has used that. But if you can track with me for a moment, as I talk about tracts, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Um, God has a gospel track, and it's you. You're his gospel track. Your life is the paper. 
and his power is the ink, and he's trying to show the world, hey, I want you to, show, I want you to read this. I want you to read this. I'm going to allow their weaknesses to display my strength. I want you to see who I am. And you're in this world as God's gospel track to this world so that he says, hey, I'm going to let you walk through these things so that God could be known in the midst of it. But we, this is the supply. Everything here is available to you. Everything. You just need to take it. I mean, it's in the supply closet. It's in the tool chest. It's there. You know, in the midst of your world, it's like, I, that's exactly what I need. I need that. God is that. I should bring that into the situation. And so he's saying, hey, that's what we do. We are in all of these, you know, difficult spaces, but we get to bring all of these other things. Well, he does give us one more list, and so we need to work through it quickly. Um, The last list is, it really kind of falls around the preposition as, at least it does here in the New King James, but it's a bunch of paradoxes. It's kind of a fun little section that just lets us know that there are things that seem contradictory, and they're not. Like, they go side by side in, in the midst of the real Christian life being lived out. Bunch of cool things, but we'll again just note it quickly for definition. Let's just read it beginning uh, there in verse 8. The New King James uses the word by on the first two, but really, again, they are these paradoxes, so we're going to put it in this list. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Hey, the Christian life rightly lived in the midst of this is these things. We live in this place where there's honor and dishonor. That is, we are approved at times and disapproved at the same space. Hey, the Christian life rightly lived will never make everybody happy but it won't make everybody sad either. It's not like we're just a rebellious, you know, against the society. No, sometimes they're like, hey, we really like you, and I really hate you at the same time. Like, like you do things I really, really like, and you do things I don't like, and it's like, yeah, that's true. We, we live in a world that is that because we're not trying to navigate with this world. We, if we do it well, we are going to get approval and disapproval. We're going to find ourselves as having an evil report and good report. They're going to speak good about us and bad. There are going to be people who be like, I so like you. And there are going to be other people like, I hate you. Like, you're doing bad things. And it's just the way that the Christian life rightly lived out will work. We'll find ourselves where people will say we're deceivers and yet we're true. They're going to be like, hey, you're a liar and you, you believe a lie. And we're going to be like, actually, it's the truth. You know, I mean, I actually hold fast to that which is absolutely true. We'd be those who are unknown and yet we're well known. That Honestly, the, true li- the Christian life rightly lived will always move you towards obscurity. Again, I want to just say that very, very carefully. It always moves you that way. It's always about humbling ourselves. Uh, it, it's not that sometimes God doesn't bring people into recognition, but to pursue that is never the way godliness is supposed to work. Like, we're not trying to make ourselves famous. We're kind of joining John the Baptist saying, I got to decrease so he can increase. Like, I'm, I'm on the way down so that people would not know me. In fact, for many Christians, this is the life he's invited you to. It's like, you're never going to be famous. You are never going to have your name in lights, but you are known by God. You are known by heaven itself. It's glorious to kind of live that out. At the same moment, we're dying, and yet we live. We spent a bunch of time on this already, because he just talked about this in the previous chapter. In chapter 5, he talked about, hey, you're in a world, and you're dying, 
This is just true for every one of us. I mean, God's plan for your life is you're in a physical body that suffers and is getting sicker and is getting older, and if he doesn't come back, you're going to die. That just sounds harsh, right? But it's absolutely true the life we live. But we are alive. Death has been defeated. We have eternal life in Christ. We are dying and living at the exact same moment, you know, in a way that lets us kind of connect into this world. On top of that, we are chastened and yet not killed. Hey, a Christian who is living life well, you are disciplined by God. You will never not be chastened. Hebrews 12 tells us there's no child of God that isn't going through his discipline. But you'll never be condemned. You'll never be kicked out. You're you're never going to go to hell. It's not the way it works. We live in this weird space. It's like, God chastens me, but he loves me. And he's absolutely not sending me to hell. You know, I am absolutely his child. And I don't have any, I'm never going to face judgment for my sin, even though he's allowing me to, it's just the glory of sanctification in the midst of this life that he does for us. But it's kind of cool. And yet it is the life that we live. We live as those who are sorrowful, yet we are always rejoicing. We're not exempt from sadness. We'll experience it. We'll go through grief and sorrow. That's a part where we have that. But in Christ, doing it well, we always have joy because we always win. I mean, there's always a source of joy for us, even though we also go through sorrow. Even though we also do that, we always have joy. We find ourselves as poor, yet making many rich. Uh, That we are not here talking about worldly, worldly riches, but heavenly. So let's just be clear about this. In this world, we're not gaining anything. Maybe you might find yourself, but you say, Jim, but I have money in the account. You might. You're going to leave it behind. Uh, your Christian life is not gaining you anything here. You're not going to be like, I got a car and a house, and it's staying here. Uh, they, you don't get to take it with you to heaven. It doesn't last. Um, we don't, your Christian life right now isn't about accumulating things. It really isn't. Uh, in fact, we are losing everything but we get, we're here for the point of making people eternally rich, to bringing people into eternal treasures. The Christian life isn't about stuff. It's about Christ rightly lived, and we're doing that. In fact, he'll go on to simply say, we actually have nothing. We don't get to take anything with us. We don't get to take anything that, that, that's here after we die, and yet at the same moment, we actually have everything because we have Christ. You know, Jesus you know, says you know, that he is giving us the eternity, giving us the world. We have everything, and yet they exist side by side in a glorious way. Again, we could spend a lot of time on this because all of these descriptions are profound, but I want you to feel them because they're glorious paradoxes, that the Christian life rightly lived is in a space that's like, I'm sad and joyful. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I I have nothing and yet I have everything. I mean, it's just this really, really cool thing. In fact, I found myself thinking about it, and I was thinking about a quote from A.W. Tozer where he talks about some of the paradoxes of the Christian life in a similar way. I thought it might be fun just to read. So he says it this way. He says, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen. He talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. He empties himself in order that he can be full. He admits he's wrong so he can be declared right. He goes down in order to get up. He is strongest when he is weakest. He is richest when he is poorest. He is happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live. He forsakes in order to have. He gives away so he can keep. Uh, He dies so he can live. He forsakes in order to have. 
He gives away so he can keep. He sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. What a glorious life that God has invited us to. But it is this conundrum of like, wow, that's, there is this paradox that we get to live in, and yet that's exactly where he's invited us to live. Wow. So let's put it back now. So we have a list of 28 things. First list of 10, the next two lists each have nine uh, of things that describe what this looks like. And I just want to hold it out to you again and say, hey, this list is the job description for every Christian. This list is what our life is supposed to look like. And in some ways, it's to look at that list again and come back and say, boy, we really want to be those who do it well. I think about it this way. Warren Wiersbe said, one of the greatest obstacles to the progress of the gospel is the bad example of people who profess to be Christians. Unsafe people like to use the inconsistencies of the saints as an excuse for rejecting Jesus. Hands down, true. Some of you know it. Like you're trying to talk to somebody right now about Jesus, and you, when they, they throw it up in your face, well, yeah, but I know some Christians, and they're terrible, and I know this pastor, and he messed up, and, I know, and, and it's the failure of Christians sometimes that push people away. But can I say it's the other way as well? The greatest gospel reason in our world to believe in Jesus is Christians. That's why he left us here. We're the light of the world. It's the greatest reason that anybody has to believe. It's because he gets to see what he's done in us. At the same moment, the greatest thing that keeps people from Christ is Christians. We are on both sides of the equation And so the invitation is to say, I don't want to be on both. I want to make sure I'm on the right side of this is what Paul said. So go back and see it again there in verse 3 and 4 where he says it this way. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. He's like, I don't want to be the one that's pushing people away. I don't want to be the one who's offending people. I want to commend. I want to live in such a way in that list so that people would look at me and say, I want what you have. I want what you have. So let's put the whole list together. We've kind of covered it in sections, but I thought it might be helpful just to read the entire thing. So again, just I'm going to emphasize the prepositions as we do it, but I want you just to feel it and wash over you. Go back again in verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And then he gives us the, the paradoxes. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Wow. 
You just meant to see the forest this morning. You meant to see that and say, okay, I, I, I see the picture. And, and maybe this morning you're doing well. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm, that, that's exactly how I'm trying to live my life. Or maybe you would look at it and go, huh, you know, I think I'm a bad employee because I didn't know the job description. You know, it's like, I, you know, he's kind of it's like, well, you know, he's like, you're not doing your job. It's like, I, maybe I didn't understand that this was the plan. Maybe I, you know, didn't understand that that's why this is happening this way. And now I get to recognize I want to make sure that I'm attracting, not pushing away. I think about it again. Some of you are reading with us in Peter. And I thought the words that he said, he says, it the same, says the same thing in other ways that might help it land. So let me read those and then we'll, we'll kind of let this be that which lands us this morning. So Peter is talking about that. His whole letter is about trials and troubles and living a life in a place that it can be a difficult time. And so in chapter two, he said it this way. He says, I'm begging you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your souls. Hey, Christian, this is not your home. You don't belong here. Heaven is your home. You're a sojourner, you're a pilgrim. It's not your world. But God has allowed you to live where you're still struggling with sin, where you still have the flesh, where you still have all the problems that are there, death, sorrow, suffering, all those things are still part of our existence. Don't let those win. Don't let those rule you, he says. Don't, don't you know, abstain from those things that are warring against that which is the soul, the, the good thing that God has done in you. He says, I want you to live having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by, your good, by, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Wow, just unpack that quickly. It's your conduct. It begins there, right? That was the first one on the list of the buys, by your godliness, by your character, by your holiness, by your conduct, by your conduct among them, honorably, that they're going to talk bad about you. Even though you're trying to do the right thing, they're going to speak evil of you. Yeah, you should know that that's going to happen. But they might, by the good things that you're doing, you know, the good works which they're watching, by the way, which they're paying attention to, especially in your hard spaces, like you, your hard spaces attract them. They want to know how you're going to handle it. They might glorify God in the day of visitation. Hey, very quickly, the day of visitation, what's that? I believe it's a description that would be true in every soul. There's a moment. And every soul that is the moment that they either choose Jesus or they turn away from him in the last time. There's, there's, there's a moment, a defining moment in every soul. And he's saying, on that defining moment, may you be one that someone says, you know, this Christianity is something I should pursue. I've seen it in Jim. I want something he has. I, I see that. And so then he'll take and say, you know, if you're reading through us in Peter, he's going to say, hey, do that in the way you handle yourself in the world. Do that in the way you handle yourself in your marriage. Do it in the way you handle yourself in your family. Do it in the way that you handle yourself in your job. And he says, hey, in all of those places, do that so that when people are watching you, they might want what you have. And then he went on to it in chapter 3 and said it this way, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't miss this verse. Because it's setting what he's about to say. So you're going to go through some hard stuff. You're going to try to do the right thing. You're suffering for righteousness sake, not suffering for your folly. That doesn't count. Uh, suffering for just you're trying to live for God in the midst of the world. Hey, you're blessed. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What a very good verse. Sometimes it's misunderstood as saying you should be able to theologically answer everybody's questions, uh, apologetics kind of thing. It's not actually what the verse is saying. He says, here's what I want you to do. 
hey, when you're being mistreated, you're suffering for righteousness' sake, hey, just serve Jesus in your heart. Make sure you're always serving Jesus and then be ready. Because if you're gonna go through hard things, somebody's gonna ask you, why do you have hope? I don't understand. I, I, I go through what you go through. I read the news the way you read the news. Um, I, I see things, and I'm noticing you have something I don't have. Why do you have hope? That's what he's saying. He's saying in your hard spaces, people are going to notice you have something, and, and you should be ready to tell them, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you noticed because I get to give an opportunity to tell you about why I have hope. Why I have this. I get that, that, that second list, which is long-suffering and kindness and the gospel and, and God's truth. And I get to bring into that, that places because they're going to ask me. Make sure I do it well. Meekness and, and fear, that gentleness, that long-suffering. And then he just says, have a good conscience. Oops, sorry. Let me go back there. Hit the button. And having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, that those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. He says they're going to talk bad about you. But man, you, you want your life to bring merit to Christ. You want it to be that place where you show the glory of Christ, and it happens this way. So there you have it. I mean, in one sense, again, it just lays it out to us that this is who we are in Christ. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, so many things we could say at this moment. I'm not sure where it all lands, but I know this. Some of you are doing this, like you're looking at this, and you're just reminded, like, that's what I try to do. I mean, I, I was doing it instinctually somehow. I knew life wasn't good, but I knew I had hope, and I was trying to bring Christ in the midst of a broken world, and you're doing it. Hey, keep doing it. Do it better. Some of you have really messed this up. I mean, some of you are like, I think I'm the bad employee that makes somebody never want to come back. You know, I think I've just, I've not done my job. Hey, there's grace. Paul said, hey, I forget those things which are behind, and I'm just going to move ahead. I don't know how much time we have left, but it's why you're here. You're in a world that these are those things and you get a chance to be a part of the gospel. And it's probably going to be your difficult things that are going to give you the best opportunities to shine Christ. Do it. Walk in it. Walk in that and walk in it. Wow. So we think about that. I want to just say one last thing and then I'll give you a moment to pray. So I've talked to those who know Jesus. I've invited you to do this well. And I do. I encourage you to live that. But I also get a tight chance to talk to some here maybe this morning in this room maybe joining us online right now, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And I wonder how you hear all of this this morning, but I am imagining for some of you, you're saying, yeah, that's why I don't believe. Because Christians are so lame. You know some of us, and you're like, man, people have misread. I, I mean, I, they have, I've seen complainers and whiners, and I've, I mean, I, I hear all these Christians who don't have godly character. And if that is what you've known, I am so sorry. Please understand, that is not our God. If we have misrepresented him, if we have been a bad employee, it's not our boss. He is gloriously good. He is merciful and gracious, and he is saving, and he is kind. And he is one who is bringing hope into a hopeless world. And if we have kept you from seeing that, please understand, we have misrepresented him. He is better than that. He is better than that. And we hope you would see it now, that Christ is the hope of life. That, that he is one who would reconcile you, bringing you into a relationship with you, saving your soul. And if that's you this morning, we just ask you to surrender to Jesus. So let's do this. Let's take a quiet moment and pray. Maybe that's you this morning and you just want to ask Jesus to be your Savior. We invite you to do that. Again, some of you, most of us here this morning probably are believers. And so 
somehow you, you're going to look at this list and recognize places to grow or encouraging where you are, wherever it's landed this morning. Would you talk to God about it? And maybe just kind of willingly re-enlist. Like, okay, God, hey, this is the road. I'd like to do this well. I, I want to be with Paul. I don't want to be an offense. I want to commend Jesus. I want people to see Jesus through me. And if that is some of my trials and sufferings, let's go. Let, let's shine Christ and do it well. Hey, wherever you are this morning, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same, and we'll close in worship in just a moment. Jesus, I think about one of the verses that you and I were talking about this morning and just that one there in Matthew where you tell us that you looked out across the the lost world and those who were struggling and you saw them as sheep that had no shepherd. You had compassion on them. God, I know that's exactly, that's your heart. You're you're one who looks on our world and you love the world and, and you look upon just the brokenness and the sorrow and the suffering the sin that is destroyed and you have sent your son and died on the cross. Jesus, to pay the price for us. God, thank you for your heart for this world that is seeking to reconcile them to you. God, thank you for those of us who are yours this morning. You did it for us. You took us out of the brokenness of our sin. You brought us to Christ. You brought us into new life in you. Thank you. Heaven's now our home, and yet we're not there yet. We're still here. In fact, we're still here in some of the hard things of this life. Having to endure trouble, tribulation, trials, people, drama, sicknesses, things that keep us awake, just needs unmet. And you do it on purpose so that in this world we can shine you. God, where you've done that already, thank you. Where we've not been shining you in those moments. Maybe we didn't understand. Maybe we thought those things kept us from being part of the gospel. Instead of recognizing, actually, those are probably the doors that you're going to open up. That I get to tell people about your goodness in the midst of my trouble. God, let us bring all that you are into that, all that you've provided. Help us to live good lives, to bring in your knowledge and your truth.
and your compassion and your long-suffering and your kindness. God, by the work of your Spirit, would you help us to bring in the gospel? Would you help us to stand in Christ in ways that cause that hope that we have to shine in the midst of those hard spaces? And may people be drawn to you. God, I ask for that. In fact, I'm asking for it right now. For any that are hearing my voice that don't know you, I'm asking that you would draw them to you. That they'd see that we have something they need. That they would see it in the midst of our suffering that we're going through for their good. God, cause it to be known. And draw more to yourself. I ask for that now. And thank you for your good work. We honor you for all that you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God meet you, may draw you, may build you up, may help you to live this life well for him. If you have questions after this, if you don't know Jesus, we're here. Come up and talk to us about it. We'd love to do that, but we want to worship God right now. So why don't you guys stand if you're able and and join us as we worship him. And as you're standing, I just want to bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.